So let's turn in our Bibles, and uh, if you've been with us, you know we're making our way through 1 John, and, you know, and, and that 1 John's main, his, his main concern in writing this letter is just to keep, it, keep this thing real and, and genuine uh, with what it is. As we say, we're following Jesus, and we're, we believe in him, and what does that look like? So I was thinking about, you know, you get married, you have an idea of what married life is going to be like. It's going to be so great. We're just going to be so in love, and we're just going to have this deep love. See, you already hear the chuckling, the rippling going through of that is. Or, you know, we're expecting, and Alexis getting well, they're going to have this baby, or Jen and Gavin, they're going to have this baby, and life is going to be so great. We're going to have this child we get to love, and it's going to be so wonderful. And then you have this child, and this child doesn't understand what night is for you know, or those things. Or you get into marriage and you find out that, man, none, there is none that does righteous. No, not one. This, I have married a sinner, you know. Or these times when you think it's going to be one way, every semester or every school year, didn't you think, this is the year I'm going to be organized. I'm going to get my assignments done before they need to be done. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to read the reading when it's, you know, when it's assigned. And then somehow... The semester doesn't quite unroll that way. Things you go into and you think, this is how it's going to be, but then this is the reality of what it is. And that's why we meet First John. Because John, is, as we said, he's near the end of his life. He's near the end of the first century. Most of the New Testament has been, has been written. And, and he's seeing how this thing is, is evolving. And so he's calling it back to what it's supposed to be. Because that story happens to so many of us that come to faith in Jesus. It's almost like Pastor Ted has kind of set me up here. That you come to Jesus, you think this is what my relationship with him is going to be like. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is how I'm going to experience God's goodness. Everybody tells me how much he loves me and, and how good he is. And now I'm going to experience that. And then you get into this life and you get these pulls like he was talking about. Or you find out that you still, deep inside yourself, you still wrestle and, and battle with things. And, and what's up with that? And why aren't I changing like I thought I'd change? And how come I seem to be pretty much the same person? Or why is it, here's one we all struggle with, how come this person, God just took this addiction away from them? But he's, he's having me work, you know, do hard steps towards that. Why, why is that? And, and how does this thing really work then? Am I doing this wrong? Because I think that's one of my burdens. Or even as Pastor Ted and I talk about just this concept of grace, that's one of our burdens is that there's such a weight of, am I doing this wrong? Or why am I, what more do I need to do? Instead of just understanding the role of the Holy Spirit to be the dynamic within you and for this amazing thing called grace to be at work in you. So, so John, he's a good guide for us because he saw this, he saw it play out. He, he met Jesus with such different ideas about what, what being a Christian or what being a follower of God looked like from what it actually was. So as he goes through his life with Jesus, he gets to see all of those ideas kind of rewritten and, and reformatted and, and where his life was going as a professional fisherman and where it ended up as, you know, as a missionary or as an apostle, however you want to look at him, he's a good guide for us because he gets that. He gets, he gets what Jesus taught. He's had years to kind, of, to kind of process that out. He's watched the early church movement go, and, and he sees where it is now. So, so he's, good. he's good for us. This, it's a good book. It's, sometimes we feel like, man, this is harsh. 
But you get a sense of just how passionate he is about this. If we're calling ourselves followers of Jesus, this Jesus that I knew, then we need to follow him the way that he's told us to follow him. So you get to the end of chapter 2, where we finished off last week, and I want to start reading in verse 28. I'm going to read through chapter 3, verse 10. And just watch, watch him talk to us again about following and our role as, of obedience and how we obey. He says in verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And we, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one ab who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteous righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil." For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother." If you read those verses and just allow them to say what, what it seems like they say, you might start to get a little nervous about yourself and, and where you are. And am I genuine? Am I struggling so much? Because maybe I'm not really a believer. And that's far from what John, is, what John is saying. In fact, one of the translations, the translation that, that my version has kind of twists that a little bit or tweaks it a little bit when it says, you know, everyone who practices righteousness. It almost seems like John is saying, hey, if, if more of your life is characterized by sin than it is by following Jesus, you're not a believer. And I don't think that's where he's going to take us. That's where he's going to land. For John, we keep seeing this word show up uh, in his letter, you need to abide in him. That'll be translated some places if you remain in him or if you continue in him. I think John is reaching back to the night before Jesus died when he said, you know, I'm a vine and you are the branches that shoot out of me. If you abide, and he talks about it there, it's almost if this life flow is going from me out through you, then you're going to see this, this amazing change of life. If there's an active life connection, then there's life change. And that's what happens. It's just his life that flows out through us. It's, it's abiding. Some of us think that it's, it's a picture like this, where, hey, I just need a little help. You know, I, I could do this on my own. You know, I look at pictures or I look at situations, and I just, maybe I've just done this so long, I cannot help but look at pictures with a pastoral, <laughs> just a pastoral lens. And I think, okay, so is this girl going to get to the top and say, I could have done this on my own? But thanks for the help, but I could have done it. It's not like I couldn't have done this. Is anybody with me? I mean, you've been in those situations where, okay, thank you. But, I mean, see, her arm is kind of bent, so it's not like she really needed the help. 
as you read into the pictures, as you get an understanding, what do I do in my office all week while I'm in there? Yep. We think of abiding like this. Jesus, just give me some help. When abiding is more like this, that if you let me go, yeah, I'm gone. Or there's no way I'm getting up unless you pull me up. That's abiding where it's all on him. It's all on him. And so when John is setting us up and talking us through this thing, it's, it's huge that they understand that's what he's talking about, is that kind of abiding. I appreciate it. William Barclay has this little commentary on John. He says, John is pleading with his people to abide in the things which they've learned. For if they do, they'll abide in Christ. If you lean into and you draw in from the things that you've been taught, been taught along the way by John or by other apostles or whoever these readers are, or now speaking to you and I, if you just hang on to and embrace and lean in to all these things you've been taught in Jesus' name that are biblical, then you are going to abide in Christ. That's, that'll be the effect of that. And so, so for this morning, I'm thinking of abiding in terms of like embracing him, really embracing him or hanging on to him. Like, I need to hang on to you, or I will not make this. I will not get where I need to go. And that's going to be a, a mind change for so many of us because we think, hey, if I just understand what God wants, and I've done this a long time, I can just keep moving forward. And, and we end up really relying on ourselves, on our wisdom, on our strength, on our opportunities, instead of living with this constant awareness that, Jesus, if you don't give me the wisdom, I'm not going to know what to do or what to say. If you don't give me the strength, I'm going to do this on my own, and that never goes anywhere good. And so John's heart is just for us to abide. And so that's why we keep seeing it over and over and over through this book. So there's this sense of if you, uh, if you embrace him, if you abide in him, if you lean into him, you're going to be ready to see him. And so John, who seems preoccupied with the coming of Jesus, it, which makes sense, he's near the end of his life. They thought he was going to come during their lifetime. We saw last week he said it's the last hour. And now he tells us in, about his appearing in, in verse 28. And then he says in chapter 3 and verse 2, he talks again about his appearing. He's going to be coming. If you embrace him, if you abide in him, you'll be ready for his appearing. You'll be ready for that. When I was newly saved, you know, as a teenager, there was this different approach to, to following Jesus. There's very much of a guilt approach. And there was this thing that was told us when we were first learning about the second coming, like if you went to movies or whatever, one of the motives to get you to do the right thing was, would you want to be doing that when Jesus comes back? Now think about that. You know, that's like telling a kid, your mother can show up at any time. Just remember that. So then you, you live with this paranoia that really, as a, as a teenager, that really affected me. I feel like this is a good movie. I think I'd be okay if Jesus came back when I'm doing this. But then it kind of snowballed into all these things you just normally do. I, gee, I definitely want Jesus to come back if I'm doing this, you know, or, or, or whatever. I'm, man, I'm watching football. That's kind of okay. But if he comes back, maybe I should be witnessing to somebody. It just, for me, or it just seems to be people, that leads to a guilt-motivated obedience. And those of us that have been in those situations, a guilt-motivated obedience, that works. It just doesn't work for long. Because at some point, the guilt just piles up so much, you think, what's the point? What's the point? Or you just look at everyone else, and either everyone else is living with their guilt, or they figured something else, and so you just kind of slip into mediocrity, or, or what the stereotype was. 
So you have that guilt-based, or even look at the word John uses. You don't want to, in the end of verse 28, you don't want to shrink from him in shame. You don't want to be ashamed of what you were doing when he came. And that's a legitimate thing to recognize, hey, if, if I'm doing life my way, if I've shelved Jesus and I'm doing things my way, that's good for you to know you are, you'll be shamed when he comes because of that. But to just have to think of all the different things in life you could be doing and weighing them on the basis of guilt, wow, that's a heavy load. That's a heavy load. And so in this, in this package, you know what John is calling us to is he's calling us to a love-based obedience. So he talks about his coming. He talks about doing the right thing. But then he pauses like out of nowhere when he starts chapter 3 and says, will you look at this? Look at the kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. And that's what we are. I mean, he, he, breaks, he takes several chunks to convey to you, this is a very spo- special thing. In fact, the key word in that, that whole thought is, what kind? It's a rare word. It's only used a couple of times, but it's used when people are astonished. It's like when you, when you see something and you do use that word, what? And you're like, what? What is this? You know, in a good way. There's times who, what parent hasn't come home and said, what is this? And not so good. But this is one of those moments where John is trying to get you to see, what is this? That God has this kind of love for you that he would make you one of his children. And then to, in case, to make sure you don't have any wiggle room there to say, and that's what we are. And then I didn't notice it until yesterday afternoon when I was going through things again when he says in verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now. So you see all these ways he's trying to drive into you that, that you have a love-based obedience, that you are so loved this way. This is amazing that the God you see, and, and sometimes you'll talk to people and you talk to people and they'll say, it just seems the God of the Old Testament is a lot scarier than the God of the New Testament. And he's the same God, and you see incredible mercy and love through the Old Testament. But when it comes in the person of Jesus, now it's in the, now it's in the front, right in front of you. And now he's drawn you into a, a personal relationship that they didn't have in the Old Testament. Now we are the children of God. You're not waiting to get to some point with that. If you, if you could step back and just absorb that God loves you so much that he adopted you. You know, and, and allow that to sink in because so many of our stories are, are, are stories of parents that did not convey that to us really well. Or so many of your stories are that, that things would not go this way that, way that they have if you had been loved well. And some of that has led some of you to wrestle with, am I worth loving? You know, am I worth, am I lovable? Am I worth somebody committing themselves to me for, for good motives? And so here you, you crash into this relationship with God that you have where he's chosen to love you. Now, now walk yourself that he's, not, he's adopted you. He's made, you, made it official. Some of you have been involved in, in foster care or you, some in our wider family have had, had, had foster children. And you get to the point where we want you to be a part of our family. What a huge step that is. And that's what John's saying God has said with us. It's not enough that I just saved you. It's not enough you get to live in my place forever. I've adopted you. I want you to be part of my family. And that he's proud of you as a child. Those of, those of you who have been in families and, 
you, maybe you knew you were the favorite or maybe you knew you were not the favorite. And so here's our God who loves equally. He's so glad you're in his family. It's not a moment like, remember David's father has when Samuel goes and they want to anoint the next kid and, and next king. And all his brothers are there. And so Samuel goes down and it's not this one, not this one, not this one. They get the end of that and they say, Don't, do you have any more boys? And it's his father oh, that's right. I've got one out in the field. You are not that child to God because he's, he's aware of who you are and he is glad you're in his family and you are as important to him as any other child of his. That's what John is trying to, just as John is trying to break through. You know, he's named you as part of his family. These, hey, these are mine and I'm glad I have them and here they are. We don't have a relationship with God. Like, do you remember this when you were little that you were, you were the friend sometimes and sometimes you were the child? But, you know, parents say, hey, we're, we're going to go to whatever. We're going to the mall. We're going to the ho- a hockey game. We're going wherever it is. And you say, hey, can I bring a friend? And so your friend gets to come. But you know the whole time you're there, you're the friend. You're not the son. And some of us in our relationship with God, we feel more like the friend than we are, we feel like the son or the daughter. But John is trying to convey to us, remember Barclay said he's pleading, he's trying to convey to you, this is the special relationship you have with him, that he's chosen you to be one of his children. The scriptures always use the word son because with son there were legal benefits to that and so it's not at all. It's not at all a slight to women. It's not at all putting women behind, behind boys. But he's just trying to say, this is the kind of valued position that he's given to you. It's not, he hasn't been hired to do this. God hasn't chosen us in, in foster care. We're not one of those, he's not one of those families that is doing it just for that monthly check. He's doing it because of his deep love for us. That's what John's trying to point out. He doesn't look at us as some kind of project that, you know, if I could save Chandler... I could make him into a decent person, you know, however that was. That's not how he looked at me. He looked at me, here's a kid who needs to be loved. So, so those of you, you feel like there's so much more to be done in your life. God did not choose you. He did not adopt you just as a project to show what he can do. I mean, Ephesians says in the future, he's going to show how he just lavished grace on us that were like grace trophies. But he didn't do that just because, watch this, this is really bad. I mean, this, this one is such a screw-up, but I can still fix it. That's not at all why we're here. Or he doesn't just look at us for pity's sake, you know. I can, I can hear my mom doing that, and your mom, your dad, whoever that was, your grandmother, whoever that was, that one, when you got pity, when you'd done something that was just so dumb or so wrong, and you got the look, and then you got the lecture, and then you got the pity. Oh, well, come in and get cleaned up, however that went. That you knew that is not how God looks on us. He's showing us incredible mercy, but it's not so that we're always living in light of, I hope you know you didn't deserve this. I mean, his sense of grace is, I hope you know you didn't deserve this, but I hope you know how glad I was to give it to you. That's grace. That's where grace meets. And so John, he's trying to bring us to this place where there's obedience. You know, if you know that he's righteous, you may be sure everyone who practices righteousness is born of him, but he wants it to be a love-driven obedience. 
that, God, I'm trying to change. I'm so thankful that you love me even though, you know, it's been a while. I, I'm so thankful that you love me even though I'm still struggling. I'm so thankful that you have all, everything available to me that ever was available to me. I'm so thankful for that. And, and because you've just been so good to me, I, I want to I keep pressing on. On my part, I want to keep pressing on. He loves you. You need to hear this whether you're trying to decide to become a Christian, whether you've just become a Christian or whether you've been a Christian a long time, but he loves you with a love that you will not find anywhere else in any other relationship, in any other circumstances. He has a love that's going to be better than that because sometimes we get saved and that's good, but we just need this person and we'll make compromises for this person. And when we do that, we are saying there's a love there that's better than the love here. And you won't find that. You won't find that in any other person. You won't find that in any other relationship. I say that to those of us who have been saved a long time because we become so familiar with verses and passages like this or concepts like this about how God, loving God is that somehow we lose, we lose the fresh experience of that along the way. That's where John is trying to take us, that if you embrace him, if you abide with him, if you lean into him, you're going to be motivated by love, and you will be ready to see him. You'll be ready to see him. And then in, in verse 4, he turns that around, and if you embrace him, and you will not sin. If you embrace him, you won't sin. Now hang in there with me, because we're, we're all sinning. We're, you know, we're constantly sinning. We're constantly struggling with things. We get victories, and then we're on to something the Holy Spirit shows us. It might be a little deeper in our lives. Okay, now, I, now you can handle this. Now I need to reveal this to you. Or a new situation brings out a reaction from you that, that you didn't see coming, or whatever that is. But John makes it clear in, in, in this passage, this uncomfortable passage, that if you embrace him, if you're abiding in Jesus, you will not sin. Remember, that's John's goal. Remember he said in chapter 2, little children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But then he gives you this provision. But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's the propitiation for our sins, not ours only, but the whole world. So, so his goal is to get us to a place where we don't sin anymore. But God has this provision for us that if, we ha if you do sin, if you do sin, Jesus has already paid for that. It's not like you have to beg him to forgive you or even ask him to forgive you. You just have to claim this forgiveness that's yours and go on in a different direction from going there. But what he says here is that if you embrace him, you're not going to sin. If you stay filled with the Spirit, uh, you won't sin. That's kind of Paul's language, if you say. I mean, in, this, in these verses, there's a lot of sin by a lot of people going on. So he says... Um, in verse 4, he says, everyone who makes a practice. In verse 6, he says, uh, no one. He, in fact, he says it twice. No one who abides in him keeps sinning. And no one who keeps sinning has either seen him or, or known him. And then he'll say, whoever. So it seems like everybody is sinning in, in these verses as, as he writes them out. You, you only get w one positive thing in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteous righteousness is righteous as he's righteous you just get that one positive thing you get that really stark truth in verse six no one who abides in him keeps on sinning and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him and and then he gives us this explanation in verse nine no one born of god makes a practice of sinning for god's seed abides in him 
and he can't keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And, and so the commentaries talk about, well, what's this seed? Is it the Holy Spirit that God's given us that's enabled us not to sin? And probably better, the way that it, it's used through Scripture or even the truth John is making is probably saying the truth has been planted in you. And because God's put his truth in you, it's growing and it's showing you what it is so that you shouldn't be sinning. Like, look at other places where you have this, this idea. In James 1.18, it says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his, of his creatures. He's brought us forth, given us new life, by the word of truth. That's, that's what's impacted us. Or First Peter puts it this way, Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and wording, abiding word of God. It was the word that brought new life, new life in you. You understood the gospel, you understood the truth, you believed it, and it brought about new life in you. You know, the Holy Spirit came in and, and quickened you, like the old King James says in Ephesians. It was that seed of truth that, that's been planted in you. And because now you, because now you know what the truth is, and because the truth and the word of God is living and active, and because the word of God, when it's, it's the inspired word of God, is to make you effective and able to do every work, like Timothy says, here it is. Here it is. A people that are sinning all over the place, but believers that don't have to, because God has planted this thing in you that if you allow it to do what it's supposed to do, it will keep you from sinning. So you have a lot of sinning by a lot of people going on in these verses. But those who are embracing Jesus, those who are abiding in him, they are not sinning. And I think that's where it's better to, it's better to understand that that's what's going on here. It's not so much how my translation has put it, everyone who makes a practice of sinning or everyone who continues sinning. It's he, John is saying, listen, if you are sinning, you are not abiding. And that's true. If you're sinning, you're not filled in the Holy, with the Holy Spirit in that moment. You're, you've taken charge yourself. So, so John is just making this really clear. He's making it clear part of because of he's in this battle about who Jesus was. And through the letter, we keep watching him defend who Jesus was. And he's going to speak of some of those things about who Jesus is. He said back at the end of chapter 2, um, it says in verse 29, we can be sure that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Let me back up. Uh, if you know, at the beginning of verse 29, if you know that he is righteous. So he talks to us that, that Jesus is righteous. He says in verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. So, so he's letting us know that not only Jesus, is he, is he pure, but he's righteous. It says in verse 4, um, sorry, verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And then he's going to refer to Jesus again, is righteous at the end of verse 7. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So, so through this letter, John, he's having to defend who Jesus is. We saw that he's come in the flesh. He's God and God. He's, he's righteous. He's pure. He's holy. That's who he is. And if you're connected to him, you cannot sin. And so John is taking on these people to say, no, no, I'm, I'm connected to Jesus. I'm following him. I'm still sinning. Don't worry about it. And John, remember, he's begging people to let what you've heard, of, uh, what you heard in the beginning hang on. He's fighting for the real thing. And the real thing is that this Jesus, he is so holy and so pure and so inside of you that if you abide with him, you're not sinning. And when you're sinning, 
that's when you know, oh, Lord, there's some kind of a breakdown. I didn't realize it, but there's got to have been a breakdown for me to do this. And so I'm leaning on my own understanding. I'm leaning on my own strength. I'm leaning on my own desires. Whatever that is, I'm leaning on me, and I am not leaning into you. That's why John will use that word. By this, it's evident who's who. Because all you have to do is see, boy, if there's sin in my life, then I've stopped abiding in him, and I need to lean back into him. I mean, part of the, the greatness of his love, you know, he says to sinning Israel in the Old Testament, hey, I've loved you with an everlasting love. All of these things, part of his love is to know he is never going to say, listen, I'm, I'm tired on my side. I mean, some of you have been in relationships where it's been healthy to say to the other person, I'm done. I can't keep doing this. It's, it's not healthy. But God on his side will never, ever say that to us. He will never, ever say to you when you realize, man, I've done this again. God, I'm just coming back to you. I want to lean in on Jesus. I want to embrace all that he's got for me. He's never going to say, yeah, I'm just, I'm done. Which is really good, because who hasn't had people that have done that? Where you've had to talk your way back into or never were able to talk your way back into the relationship. No, honest, I mean at this time. You don't have to do that with God. You don't have to tell them all those things we do with each other. No, honest, I mean it. You're going to say that to the one who knows your heart more than you know your heart. You think, God, how can I put this? Okay, before there's a word on my tongue, you know it already, Psalm 139 says. So that's what John is trying. He's trying to, to move people to, that if you're abiding, you are not sinning. So will you please abide? That, that is not guilt-driven obedience. That's one of the things that really stuck out to me this week. The way John writes and what he tells us leads you to grace more than it leads you to, I got to try harder. I got to try harder. Because he's saying, don't try harder. Because all you're trying to hit harder with is your sin nature. <laughs> you really just abide. Just tie yourself tighter to Jesus. And, and the way you abide is knowing what, he, knowing what it is that he said. I mean, John, uh, Jesus said this in, in John 15 where he talked about that picture of the vine. Look at, abide in me. How do we put that? Embrace me and listen to me and let my life flow into you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now let's, let's reword that some, right? As the branch cannot become more patient by itself unless it abides in me neither can you unless the branch becomes more unless the branch cannot become more forgiving the branch cannot become more bold the branch cannot become less sinful unless it abides in me but a lot of us that's what we slide into okay god i got a plan you know i know you've forgiven me so many times but i got a plan of how i'm not going to do this anymore and plans can be good, but the embracing, you know, I've got a plan, but I am holding on for dear life because I've got to have you do this. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Because the problem is if you keep trying to, to do when you're not abiding, you're going to blame him for the nothing. Instead of realizing, God, if there's nothing going on, then clearly I'm trying to do this on my own. And so, 
you know, we're back with John. So God, please help me. Help me to lean in. Help me to embrace him. Help me to abide in him. Help me to make sure I'm so connected to Jesus that his wisdom and his power and his direction just can flow into my life. You know, my effort is to, to know the word. And if you abide in my word, Jesus says, it's to know what his word is. It's to it's stay connected with him through prayer so that he's hearing my heart, so that I'm hearing his part. It's to stay connected into what his purpose is in the kingdom. And I'm doing kingdom things. I know that's where you're working. So that's where I want to show up with you, Lord. Because everything else is from this pull that Pastor Ted referred to. Do you see, it's interesting, you don't see the word devil a lot in the New Testament, but we get it three times in one verse. In verse 8, do you see that? Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I mean, John is trying to make a point there. When someone says something that close together, that tied together, they're trying to make a point. Like, I remember with our kids, like your family, we had words that they were not allowed to say in our house. And Josh, I think Josh was like five years old, and he says to me, hey, Dad, we're not allowed to say the word shut up, right? Because shut up is not a good word, and so you and Mom don't want us to say shut up, right? (laughs) And it was like, okay, I think this five-year-old is playing me. (laughs) But all I could do was, yeah, okay, yeah, you're, you're right, you're right. Okay, so I won't say shut up, Dad. And he goes off. You know, when you put words together, you just know something's going on. So here's a word rarely used in the New Testament. Mostly it's used a lot in, you know, Jesus' temptation. That's where he shows up. So you've got it in in the three Gospels that talk about that. But then he's trying to convey to you that when you're not embracing, you are so vulnerable to this enemy, this enemy that we have. I love how someone says that, some, someone pointed out along the way about Satan, it says, when he talks about Satan and his relationship to sin, Satan lets us know what sin is, you know, it prides, it starts with telling God, I want your place, and so I want to get, I want to make up my rules. When John tells us sin is lawlessness, sin is just moving from what God says is right and true to what I say is right and true. So he tells us what sin is. He shows us what sin does. It rebels. It just goes on with, I don't care what you say, God. This is what I want to do. He shows us why sin is, because the devil has sinned from the beginning. That's what it said about him. It shows us where sin comes from. It comes from him. And then how sin is conquered, it's conquered because Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. I mean, when I was just reading that, you know, as part of the message, it just struck me how what Laurie just shared, that's what we've just seen. He's come to destroy the works of the devil, and so he's just ripped out these two strip clubs from our city to repurpose them. That's what he does. How is sin conquered? It's not conquered by you. You or what you do. You're, you're not in there. The reason the Son of God appeared was to, to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus will destroy those things that are being done or have been done in your life or he'll heal what's been done in your life as you abide in him. You won't fix those or heal those yourself. But as you stay connected to him, that's when you'll see those things just flow through you. That's when you'll receive this life. That's why Colossians 3 will we'll talk about Jesus and it says when, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll appear with him in glory. So there's that whole piece, the whole piece that goes on with that.
when you are embracing him, when you are abiding in him, when you're hanging on to him, maybe it's helpful for you to come up with your own word. When you are doing that, that's when you're going to see your life changed. You're going to see God bring the people into your life that you need. You're going to see God direct you to the, to the truth that you need. You're going to have people, you're going to feel the effects of people praying for you. You're going to see those things and your life is going to change because you're embracing him and he's going to lead you further and further from, from sin in those things. Hey, to those of us who have been saved for a long time, we need to hear a message like this and just go through and, and look at those places where we have given ourselves a pass that I've grown this far and, and I don't need to grow anymore. Or I've done this much for Jesus and so I can, I can lay back. Now we need, to, we need to embrace him and abide in him as much as ever because there's new things that he wants to do in our life. We are never past that point. And so we need to read John and, and thank him that, yeah, most of the dominant sin in our life, maybe we, we, we may have victory over, but there is still so much more that Jesus wants to do in us, you know, and, and so much more that he wants to do to, through us. So that concept, you know, for me, as I said, it's the word embrace, it's the word hang on, it's the word lean in. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a better handle on the word than just abide. Maybe it's the picture of the vine and the branches. You've got to find what makes that powerful to you so that you can constantly come back to it, that this is what I need to be doing. God, I'm getting so frustrated. I realize I'm frustrated because I'm doing this on my own again. So help me to, to lean into you. This whole sense that maybe it's how we summarize this, that abiding, leading in on him, whatever, abiding gets you ready for Jesus because abiding is living like Jesus. So if John is telling us, hey, live in light of his coming, you'll be ready for him. You won't have to shrink back if you're abiding because your abiding automatically gets you living like he wants you to live. It gets you living the life of him just coming through you. Isn't that what Paul said? That's the hope of glory, Christ in us, just allowed to do, allowed to do his thing. So I want, to, I want that to bring encouragement to those of you who are really frustrated that I'm trying, I'm trying, and I don't know why this isn't working because you're the one that's probably doing too much of the effort. And you need to step back and, and pour yourself into what is the truth and what is the truth God is saying to me? And how is that truth being life? Because you need to just make sure you're leaning in so that his life can make, do the differences. His life can start to make the change. I want it to be heavy, heavy on us who've known Jesus in a way that I, cannot, I can't do this on autopilot and call it abi abiding. I've got to constantly lean into him to hear what he's saying to me. Because a lot of believers have gotten used to living with brokenness. And we call it God is faithful or God gives me strength. And the heart of God in heaven is broken because we're, is, we're accepting brokenness as normal instead of working through the healing that he wants to bring to us so that we can live in the freedom that he wants, to, wants us to live in. All of that comes in abiding. All of that gets us away from sin. So, so let me pray over us. And then Carrie's going to come. Amazing how the songs, what Pastor Ted shared, amazing how everything has come to this one theme this morning. So, Lord, we know that's you. And love that we get to see just your work behind the scenes, orchestrating things that we thought we were orchestrating. And so thank you that we've sung of what a good, good father you are. And thank you that we've sung of all my life you've been faithful. And all my life, you've been so, so good. 
Lord, uh, you know our hearts over on our side. You know, some, you know those times we've been trying our hardest to be good, but it's just, but we don't have that to bring to the table. So we are so thankful, not just for the death and resurrection of Jesus that forgave all of our sins, but for the death and resurrection of Jesus that led to the, the giving of your Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to really be the one that changes us. So I pray you give us wisdom today. What is it you're trying to change about us, Lord? For those of us that have been saved and, and we're walking in, in a path, God, I just pray that you would show us what we have accepted, what we've accepted, but that you haven't. What is that brokenness, that, that brokenness, Lord, or even that sinfulness that we're living in and we're okay with, but that brokenness and, and that sinfulness that you are looking to transform, that brokenness that you're looking to heal so that our relationships can be so much deeper and our availability to you can be, yeah, broader. You can do that. That's the point. You've given us a spirit. We want to hear his voice. We want to know him in the word. We want to know you more deeply, Lord. We want the world to see this thing really works well. So that's we pray to your glory. Amen. Yeah, just coming on top of that prayer, Lord, help us because so much of the change that you want to do in us, we resist because of fear. And sometimes it's fear we're aware of, and sometimes it's fear that is just so deeply rooted in there that we don't even know we're afraid. Father, we pray as your children, we know that your love casts out fear. Your perfect love casts out all our fear. So as we cling to you and we come to know your perfect love for us, Lord, and to know you that intimately, Lord, that we would be willing to walk further with you fearlessly. Ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no
And so some of us were feeling the effects of the evil one right now that, no, you're not. You know, if you live like this, then that's the lie. We're just singing this over ourselves. I am a child of God. We're just so burdened that this not be a burden to you following Jesus. And so he says shortly after, you know, when he's talking about the vine, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so, Father, help us walk in the joy that the Son has brought us and that the Son wants us to experience. We pray that joy would characterize, that it would char characterize the struggle, that it would characterize our relationship with you and with each other. We pray that so that we would experience more and more and more just your goodness in making us your children. So we pray that in Jesus' name we are released out into the world to represent you. Amen. Amen.